All right. Paul's letter to Philemon, when you get there, well, first of all, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's a paperback one in the pew back in front of you. If you don't own one, Merry Christmas. That's our gift to you, the very gift of God's Word. When you get to Paul's letter to Philemon, look up at me and say, it is finished. All right, we're going to be in verses 8 through the end of the letter, verse 25. Upon the conclusion of the reading of the text, I will say, this is the Word of the Lord, and you can respond with, thanks be to God. Paul's letter to Philemon, beginning in verse 8. Please follow along and have your eyes on Scripture. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, Westside. We're glad that you're here today. Today we conclude our journey through this New Testament book of Philemon, uh, the shortest, one of the shortest books in the Bible, and packs a big punch. And so if it's your first time here, we are like jumping into the deep end. This is concluding a very long series, so you might want to check out our website and kind of follow along with us. But today we are ending and resolving within ourselves this idea of forgiveness. And we're going to give you an opportunity to respond at the end in a pretty um, serious way. But basically what we've learned, just this context in a nutshell, is there's some strife going on between two parties. Um, Philemon is a wealthy individual. Onesimus worked for Philemon. Um, In the ancient times, he was a slave, ran away, stole some money, and so there was hurt, there was unforgiveness there. But they had a mutual friend on their Facebook list by the name of the Apostle Paul. And if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, he likes getting all up in your Kool-Aid. And so this whole letter is written um, to basically reconcile both of these parties. And each week we have walked through and learned just simply one foot in front of the other, a principle to sort of help us through this path of forgiveness. And so we've learned what it looks like to be Paul, the reconciler, stuck between two parties. Last week we learned what it was like to be Onesimus, the guy who had done the wrong, the steps that you need to take for that. And this week we conclude and we resolve 
with this idea of Philemon and what it takes and what it looks like to forgive someone. And so we're going to dive into the scriptures and practically point by point and application look at the steps that we need to take practical boots on the ground as to what it looks like to forgive someone. But before we start, as I was studying this week, I ran across a little piece of history that reminded me of what we're looking at. And this is a picture of a monument of the Holocaust in the Prokobov Square in Russia. In this region, there were 54,600 people murdered by the Nazi party. One of the largest populations there as this just regime sort of tried to take over the world. 54,000 people were murdered there in the uh, concentration camp. And in the beginning of the 1990s, they set up this monument there in the town square. And it has there the people who are the victims and it has the Holocaust there. But underneath the word Holocaust, there's a phrase written in three different languages. It is written in Ukrainian, it is written in Hebrew, and it is written in Russian. And it says these words, Holocaust, we will never forget, and we will never forgive. We will never forget, and we will never forgive. Pretty intense, right? As I looked at that and looked at the monument of unforgiveness, which is what that is, I was reminded that many of us have those monuments in our lives as well. We've erected a monument that says, I will never forget what was done to me, and I will never forgive. And if we were sitting over a cup of coffee, you would probably be honest with me and say, that monument actually dictates almost every action in my life. Every relationship that I enter into, every interaction with another individual, just waiting for the other shoe to drop, a monument of unforgiveness. And today, listen, boots on the ground, right out of the gate, I want you to look up here at me. Today, we're tearing that monument down. Today, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond at the end of the sermon. And in light of that, I am praying by God's grace that a monument of unforgiveness that has been erected in your life and in your heart will come shattering down by God's grace. As I've been walking through this series and just studying and reading as much as I could get my hands on about the idea of unforgiveness... One of the things that was interesting, there's actually been all kinds of secular studies. Berkeley has done this. Yale has done this about the psychological and physical effects of bitterness and unforgiveness. And so they've done studies about people who are either abused or hurt as children or uh, experience a traumatic season in their life to which they've harbored unforgiveness. And what's interesting is every study has concluded that unforgiveness and bitterness in your mind actually shows itself physically in your life and in your body. It's, it's scientifically proven. That if you harbor, if you've got this monument in your life, we can trace anxiety, fear, stress, bitterness, all of those things, that it's showing itself. This is a serious issue. But what's interesting is as I've chased this idea through the Scriptures... I ran across one verse that really, when you put it in a sentence, sheds the magnitude 
of what it's like to have a monument of unforgiveness in your life. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, it has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Now here it is. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Right? We're not even five minutes into the sermon. I've already dropped Satan into the sermon. This is intense, right? What's Paul saying? Here it is. Look up here. Unforgiveness is demonic. That's how serious it is. It's not some, oh, you know, I harbor hurt. No, no, no. If you've got a monument of unforgiveness and bitterness in your life, you also, by the authority of the Scriptures, have an open door to demonic activity and suppression in your life. So, are we on it yet today? Is it, have I explained the severity of the situation enough to you? How are we going to do this? If it's this serious, what are we going to do to walk through the steps? There's really been one resounding note through the whole series. I've tried to phrase it as much as I could, but, but this is really what it comes down to. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ... Through his death, burial, and resurrection, God reconciling humanity through his Son, the divine second member of the Trinity, establishing his kingdom here on earth, frees us to forgive other people. That's it. We've got to tap into a power source. We've got to have something in order to give something. And as we've walked through, we've seen this language that Paul's been using in Christ. Uh, you know, the Spirit, God gives you great, all of these things. And at the end of the day, Paul is saying, listen, this thing of forgiveness in your life, this bitterness, this hurt, this relationship that controls you, all of this is directly affected to your understanding of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what we'll do in the second half of the message is we'll dive into the text. The first part of the message is I have to do a little work and build a scaffolding as to what forgiveness is not. Because unfortunately, Hallmark and Pinterest have crept into the church as if they have the same amount of authority as the Scriptures. Now, this list isn't comprehensively mine. Listen, I, Charles Spurgeon said, I milk many cows, but I churn my own butter when it comes to sermons. So listen, when you leave here, it's a fail if you leave here and go, wow, I can't believe Jason knows all that stuff. The end game of preaching is not a high view of the preacher. The end game of preaching is a high view of the scriptures, okay? So I'm pulling from anybody that I can get my hands on, all right? So what is forgive, what, what's it not what is it not that we're dealing with here? The first thing is this. Forgiving is not forgetting, okay? That's some Nicholas Sparks garbage that's sort of crept in or something like that. Because think about it. Some of you have been abused. You've had something traumatically happen to you. And when you've dealt with that, somebody in church who probably had good intentions, they just didn't know their Bible, said, well, you should just forgive and forget. Really? Really? What do I do, hook up to a USB in the, in the cloud and delete it? You know, like, how do, what, what do you mean, forget it? Now, what the Scriptures teach is, when you forgive, you choose not to interact with that person based on the hurt done to you. That's what that means. But it's not forgive and forget. You can't do that. Be free of that burden today. Secondly, it's this. Uh, forgiving is not immediately trusting, Right? 
So maybe you were abused by your parents or something like that growing up, and now you have kids, and the dilemma is, can the kids stay the night at the grandparents' house? Um, Answer, no. No, they cannot. And you can love them. They can still be your parents. But forgiving is not being dumb and throwing wisdom out, right? We say this all the time. You can forgive someone and call the popo on them in the same breath, bro. Right, okay? Christians aren't doormats. We're not dumb. So forgiving is not immediately trusting. Ladies, ladies, guys, guys, look up here. If the individual that you're dating has a track record, right? right? Need I say more, okay? Well, it happened this one time. I'll for- oh, it happened again. Oh, I can't believe it. Yeah, you're dumb, okay? Forgiving is not immediately trusting, all right? The third thing, forgiving is not foregoing sin. Okay, we learned about this last week. We use biblical language for biblical problems. No, it was not a little story. You lied. You're a liar, okay? Welcome to Westside. Glad you're here today. Real positive, all right? Listen, we don't understand the severity of situations because we don't use Bible language. So if someone has grievously sinned against you, you don't just forego that. It's not just, oh, well, you know, we'll just you know, put that in the... No, we, we need to deal with that. Forgiving is not just foregoing sin. But how about this next one, right? Forgiving is not just a one-time thing. It's not. Now, I believe that there could be a moment. I believe there would be a moment where you understand what forgiveness is. You understand what the cost of it is. You understand the hurt that was done to you. And you release that and you let that go. I believe that's a, a, a moment that's pretty impactful But it's not like when you do that, it's all sunshine and rainbows, right? Like through counseling, I mean, mean, I've heard people say, you know, I've forgiven my spouse for this, but there's mornings when I wake up and roll over and I'm just as mad at them as the moment when that happened. And so we have to learn some principles of how to get back to the place of forgiveness and interact with each other on that level. So forgiving is not just a one-time thing. How about this? Forgiving is not waiting on an apology, Man, that just took the ammo right out of your gun, didn't it, right? I'm ready to forgive. I'm going to forgive. What they need to know is I've already dealt with this, and I'm totally going to forgive, and I'm going to do it when they apologize. Okay, listen, look up here. Look up here. Ready? I'm going to shatter your hopes and dreams right here. Look right at me, okay? That moment is probably never going to happen. Very rarely have I ever counseled someone, and they went, you know what? I was totally ready to forgive them. But I was waiting on their apology, and one day they showed up, and they were weeping. Oh, please forgive me. And I offered it, and it was be- never happened. Never heard it, right? So it's not waiting on an apology. Listen, remember, we're pulling from the gospel here, right? So let's check our theology. Question, did God wait for you to apologize to him when he sent Christ? Is that too? It was rough for the 9 a.m. too. I get it. It's okay, right? No. No, he did not. God is the initiator. We are the responders, right? It's not waiting on an apology. But the last thing is this. Forgiving is not always total restoration. Some of us are, are, are afraid to walk down this journey because we're fearful. What's the relationship going to look like? Is it going to be weird? Is the interaction going to be awkward and stuff? Um, yeah, probably. Probably. And we need to shatter the grandioso design. You know what Ecclesiastes says? Ecclesiastes says this. Anyone who looks on former days and says that they are better than these is an idiot. That's in your Bible. I just quote the Bible here, okay, right? It says that. So 
You can't go, well, and wallow. We can grieve that the relationship doesn't look like what it looked like anymore because sin affects things. But it doesn't mean that it's going to constantly go back. And some of you need to understand this, right? That's why your spouse has a difficult time in this situation trying to walk through this journey. You're over here going, well, I said I was sorry, right? Yeah, well, you did something that affected the relationship pretty big, And so, no, it doesn't always mean complete and total restoration. Here's what I'm saying. We need something to shape our understanding. And we need the scriptures to shape our understanding of what forgiveness is. Okay, down with Hallmark, down with Pinterest, down with Nicholas Sparks, all right? We need the Bible to let us know what this actually looks like in our life. And aren't you thankful that God wrote a book? That was a weak amen. I'm going to let you do that again, all right? Aren't you thankful God wrote a book? He doesn't want you just floating out there. He's got some, he's got some things in here for you. So, so what is it? What is forgiveness? What does it look like? The first thing that I see is this. Forgiveness is receiving the situation. It's receiving the situation. Look at what Paul says there in verse 12, right? Philemon, hurt, Onesimus, transgressor, Paul's reconciling, verse 12. I am sending him back to you. Awkward, right? Paul's like, listen, here's how you deal with this. You deal with it. Step number one to forgiveness is receiving the situation. And listen, we can talk about all day long how you were dealt a bad deck of cards. I understand that. You didn't ask for that. All of those things. I get it. But listen to me. Look up here. You have a choice. And this situation can either define you or it can refine you. This situation can either make you bitter or it can make you better. Okay? So God is saying through this letter, through the uh, authority of the Apostle Paul, you got to receive the situation. And then he says this, verse 16. Verse 15, for this perhaps is why he was departed from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever. I read that like the Sandlot thing, forever, right? Really, right? Paul, man, intense on these relationships. But he says, you got to de- you got to have this back. So step number one is, listen, I know it hurt, okay? But it's what's happened. So we have to deal with it. I was reminded of the Old Testament story of Joseph. Maybe he didn't grow up in church, but Joseph was sort of like, he was the youngest born, and his brothers wanted to kill him, okay, right? And listen, I, I mean, maybe not kill him is probably pretty far, but they had a good reason to be mad at him, and here's why. So Joseph had a dream one night. Imagine this at breakfast in the morning, right? Did you sleep good? Yeah, did you have any dreams? Yeah, I did. This was the dream Joseph had. Um, all my brothers bow down and worship me. You sleep good? Yeah, I did. I had a great dream. All of you bowed down and worshipped me, right? Then they were like, we got to get this guy out of here, right? Sell him into slavery. I mean, they do everything to this guy, everything. Ruin his life. Then there's a moment where Joseph is the most powerful man in the world, the right-hand man, and his brothers come groveling back to him. And there's a moment where he is literally standing up and his brothers are on his knees. It was a prophetic dream. He says these words to his brothers, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Look at what Paul says there in verse 15. For this is perhaps why he was departed from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Paul's saying, newsflash, what if God's up to something? 
Did you know that when Paul says formerly he was useless to you? Paul's doing a play on words. Onesimus' name in the Greek and the word useless look the exact same. Literally the exact same. The only difference is the tense of the verbs. It's, it's crazy. So Paul's doing a play on words. He's saying, what if the situation that you said was useless in your life is actually useful? And here's what I'm trying to tell you. Most of the time, God uses the situations in your life that have hurt you to heal you. Because people always say, well, Jason, if God's good, if God's good, this would have never, he would have stopped this from happening in my life. Then he would have showed that he was all powerful. I guess that's one way to show you're powerful, but I don't think that's the ultimate way to show your power. I think what's actually more powerful is not just snapping your finger and all the bad's wrong. I mean, that's Thanos stuff. You know what I'm saying? Snap your fingers and everything's good now. God uses what was evil. He's so powerful that he uses what was evil and that was first meant for sin, and he flips it on his head and he uses it for good and his glory. Now that's powerful. That's a sign of power that only God has. So the first step is we have to receive it. And if you keep resisting this, if you keep resisting this, you will never, never find healing in your life. If you keep lighting candles around the monument of unforgiveness, you will hit a glass ceiling in your spiritual life. So it's receiving the situation. But the second thing is this. It's releasing the person. Releasing the person. Verse 18, the Apostle Paul uses debt language. Look at what he says. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Debt language. Now, Jesus, when he teaches in the Gospel of Matthew and through the Gospels, he uses debt language to understand the idea of unforgiveness and forgiveness as well. Because this is it in a nutshell. Someone you loved, someone you trusted, took something from you, that love and that trust hurt you. And they took something from you, and then they gave you something you didn't want, which was the hurt, guilt, and shame. Now, something has been taken. There is now a debt. There is now a void. And when that happens in your life, notice I didn't say if that happens. When that happens in your life, there are only two options. Only two. The first one is this. You make them pay. You make them pay. So now... It's, you hurt me, I'm shutting you out of my life. And, and, and the 2018 way that we do this, the real, like, I'm done with this person, is you block them on Facebook, right? <laughs> you ain't liking my posts no more, buddy, right? We're done. Right, I'm making you pay all the time. Even if they come ask for forgiveness, oh, you're not genuine, I'm, I'm going to keep things from you, I'm going to make you pay. Question, how's that going for you? Happy about that? Life real joyful, full of excitement. It's been said that unforgiveness and making someone else pay is like drinking poison yourself and waiting for it to kill the other person. The other option, there's only two. You make them pay or you absorb the blow. You absorb the blow. You, you cancel that debt, Right? And so think about it. This is gospel. Jesus, while being crucified, he's getting railroad spikes driven through his wrists and his ankles, says, Father, withhold forgiveness from them. He doesn't say that. Father, make them pay. doesn't say that. Father, 
Forgive them, for they know not what they do. He did not retaliate. What did he do? He absorbed the blow. And the New Testament, it's the word that you find in your Bible, propitiation, right? Big word. So it's mocha, spice, latte, green, lucky charms, whatever you order. People at Starbucks don't even buy coffee anymore. They buy milkshakes and stuff like it. It blows me away, right? So what it means is to put forward in front of, to pay and to satisfy. So when it says that Jesus was put forward as a propitiation for us, that Jesus absorbed the blow in which we should have paid for. God absorbed the blow. And so here's a working definition for you for forgiveness. Forgiveness is the choice to cancel the debt that is owed. Now, it's a choice. Listen, forgiveness is an act of the will. It is a conscious decision that you make. Forgiveness is not dependent upon the circumstances outside of you. Nope, not, done, void. That's not right. It is a choice of the will that I now choose. This person owes me something, and I am choosing now to free them of that debt and to absorb it. You see, someone always pays in unforgiveness. And in a way, as Tim Keller says, when you sign up for forgiveness, you're signing up for voluntary suffering because you absorb the blow. But I know you're arguing with me. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, because here's what you're saying. But when does the wrong become right? You were thinking that, right? Right? When they did something wrong, who makes that right? They stole this, they did this, who makes that right? Someone needs to make them pay. And, and the word that you're searching for is justice, right? It's funny, we never cared about justice before through like civil rights and marching for unborn babies and feeding poor people and stuff like that. But all of a sudden, we want justice when it's about us, right? Uh, duh, duh, justice, it's about me, right? Justice, right? All of a sudden, we're now Avengers, Captain America, woohoo, right? I would venture to say this you're actually not seeking justice because justice without forgiveness is actually vengeance. And that's what you want. Vengeance. You want punishment. And you want payment. And here's what you need to know. That's way out of your job description. God actually tells us so. In Romans chapter 12, he says these words. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Right? Never. So the avengers, I'm sorry. Right? Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Listen, when you pursue vengeance, that's not yours. God says that's his. And so you're way out of your pay grade on something like that. And here's what you need to know. What we believe is when Jesus Christ returns, he will make every wrong right. And be satisfied with this statement. No one No one gets away with anything. With anything. Jesus, you remember Jesus, right? How the world portrays him as a lost member of the Beach Boys, blonde hair, blue eye, peace, love, right? White robe and all that stuff. What do they do with this? When Jesus says, the day that I come back and the day that God makes all the wrongs right will be so fierce and so intense that people will cry for rocks to crush their brains rather than to undergo and endure the wrath of God on that day. And God is telling you this. That's not yours. 
trust me. Trust me. And the reason why unforgiveness shows itself in physical signs and shows itself in our life and controls us is because it is a burden so big that you and I were never designed to carry it. It is like a fish out of water. It is against your nature. You were were never made to do that. So it's releasing. It is a choice of the will to release the debt. And the third thing is this, and you're going to hate it, right? Third point, you ready? Here we go. Responding in obedience, that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is receiving the situation. Here it is. I got to deal with this. It's releasing the person. Debt was owed, canceled. But now it's a matter of obedience. Because look at what the Apostle Paul says in verse 21. Confident, I'm writing this to you, Philemon, confident of your prayer life, that in your quiet time, when you journal and say, quote, I felt led to do this. Oh, it's not in there, right? Confident of your obedience. Hey, listen, Philemon. Hey, Philemon, look up here. You ain't even got to pray about it, bro. Do it. Get your Nikes on and just do it. That was a good line. I'm proud of that, right? It was great. T-shirts, forgiveness, just do it. Nike checkmark right there. That's great. Just do this thing. And then he he has audacity to say this. I write you knowing that you will do even more than what I say. Great, right? It's an obedience thing. If Jesus says, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, then your heavenly Father won't forgive you. Jesus isn't saying this. Well, clearly your salvation depends on if you forgive other people. Remember the illustration of the fruit and the tree, the pear tree in my front yard? The fruit doesn't give the tree life. The fruit shows that the tree has life. And what Jesus is saying is, one of the bottom shelf marks of a Christian is, is they forgive because they've been forgiven. An unforgiving Christian is an oxymoron. Doesn't exist. Not true. Can't happen. And do you, do you know where these series come from? Right? I, here's what I don't do. I don't sit in my office and go, man, I wonder what they want to know, right? I don't care about your opinion. I care more about God's. It's kind of my job, okay? But through talking to community group leaders and praying and assessing the life of our church, we come to the scriptures and see the solutions in those. But also one of the things is what's going on in my life? Right? I don't have a bulletproof vest up here, man. I'm not wearing a cape. And, and I just think if it's happening to me, surely it's probably happening to you guys, Right? What you need to know about this thing with forgiveness is in, in my family and in my extended family, there was a situation that happened that's pretty much shattered our family for about the extent of four years. And you don't need to know the details. That's none of your business. But what you need to know is I know. And up until a few months ago, I did not have regular communication with my parents for about a year. And through my, the grace of my wife and praying friends in our community group, one day I just I heard, as clear as I'm talking to you, um, you just need to get in the car and you need to go. So I called my wife and I was like, we got to go. And she was like, oh God, we're going. Oh my goodness, you know. And we just went. We didn't have a declaration. We didn't have this. Under these requirements, I'm coming. If you do X, Y, no. Is the situation resolved? No. Is it weird? Yep. But I knew this. If I resisted, if I resisted the Holy Spirit's promptings, I was in a world of hurt. 
And there are some things in the Christian life that you will never understand on this side of obedience. I don't care what degree you have. I don't care how smart you are. Do it. Do it. You receive the situation. You release the person from the debt. You respond in obedience. And listen to me. Forgiveness is a matter of obedience. It just is, plain and simple. And so if we flip that coin on its other side, we can also say this in the same breath. If I am living a life of unforgiveness, I am living in constant disobedience to God's Word. I don't know how else to say it. It's serious. That's why Jesus taught on it so much. So we receive the situation. We release the debt. We're responding in obedience because God told us so. But then I love how Paul ends his letter. The last thing is this. We rely on grace. We just, we, we got to lean on something here. We rely on grace. Look at how he ends the letter, right? He talks about his posse. That's when in verse 23, Epaphras, all my boys, we're rolling deep. That's cool. Verse 25. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. Now, I believe that maybe sarcasm might be a spiritual gift. I don't know. I could probably study it and figure that out. But I think Paul might have wrote that a little bit sarcastically because he knows what he's asking them, right? This is going to be tough, so grace be with you, bro, right? Good luck. <laughs> See how awkward this dinner is, you know what I'm saying? Grace be with you. Why? Because it's going to be messy. There's not every answer and every step to everything, and I'll do this. If God, grace, grace be with you. Grace, an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. That's grace. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. You can't offer what you don't have. So the key to the whole situation and to tear down the monument of unforgiveness and bitterness that you have on your life, stop focusing on the situation and start looking to Christ. Turn down the volume on you and turn up the volume on Jesus and realize the grace you didn't deserve, the mercy you didn't deserve. God had the right and the holiness and the justice. It says when Jesus was dying on the cross that at his command, he withheld in one word the power of about 10,000 leagues of angels to come down and wipe it out, hit the reset button, kneel in the matrix. We're starting over with this thing. But he absorbed the blow. And when you focus on that, Corey Ten Boom said something interesting one time. She said, when you choose to forgive someone and free them, you realize the moment you do that, the person that you're freeing is actually you. Rely on grace. You see, it's only the gospel. It's only the gospel that gives us the power to free other people. But how do we do that? How? Boots on the ground, can this happen? In just a moment, I'm going to give you a time to respond. And here's what's interesting. We love Easter Sunday, right? Love Resurrection Sunday. I love Resurrection Sunday. Jesus declared that he was undisputed world heavyweight champion of the world by beating death, right? That's cool. We should celebrate that. But what often goes unnoticed by Christians is Crucifixion Friday, Because you can't have a resurrection on Sunday unless something's died on Friday. And I was thinking about how do we close this and how do we do this? 
I was reminded of one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, who concludes his book, Mere Christianity, which is probably one of the greatest theses on Christianity ever written. And then he writes probably the best paragraph ever written in the English language. He says these words, Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death. Death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day. And death of your whole body even in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will really ever be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find Him, and with Him, everything else thrown in. But did you catch the line? Nothing in you that has not already died will ever be raised from the dead. So how do we do this? The band's going to come up and lead us in a time of response. Pastor Tyler, can you help me with this? We want to create a moment and a pillar for you to tear down the monument of unforgiveness and bitterness and resurrect a monument of grace and of peace. And so today... Something dies. It ends today. And you have a handout in your bulletin. On the top of it, it says these words Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. We receive the situation. This is the hand you've been dealt. There are some questions on this side of heaven that will never be answered. Today we release someone. Paid in full. We're responding in obedience. It's not a prayer matter. It's not do I do do it. We are relying on grace. So you will write a name or situation on that piece of paper. You will fold that in half and you will put that in the casket when you walk by. Then you will go to the table and you will see the elements of grace. Because if it's not died, it's not going to resurrect. And I firmly believe in my spirit and in my resolve today, monuments will get tore down. This is your moment. This is what you've asked for. How do I do it? How do I release it? The time is now. So in just a moment, we're going to stand. We're going to read the Lord's Prayer like we've read every week. And you may need the first song. You may need the second song. You may need time. And it will hurt you to write that name or that situation. And you will fold it. You will step out in faith. And today it's released. Because we rely on grace. Stand with me and let us recite the Lord's Prayer. Let us read these words out loud together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and we are asking for your grace and for your spirit. We're responding in obedience. You told us to do this. We see the steps. Here it is. God, may may a monument be tore down today that grandkids and great-grandkids will never know of. And the trajectory of their lives, people who don't even exist yet, their lives will be forever changed because someone made a choice, an act of the will by the power of your spirit to cancel and release a debt. Because we look to you, Jesus was put forward for our sins and in him and in you our debts have been paid so now we forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us Holy Spirit may you give our spirits grace in this moment we pray this all in Christ's name Amen you can respond as you feel led today